Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Ludwell and this is The Inspiration Show. Today on the show we're going to be talking about a very common subject uh, and questions that come up for me very often in, inside our My Movies community and it's that how do we deal with difficult family members? Uh, so I have uh, a special guest with me that is going to be uh, talking to me about this subject. He's the author of about 50 books, he's a retired family therapist. Um, and an active life coach um, and uh, definitely an expert on this subject. But before I introduce my special guest today, I just want to remind you that once the show is over, if you're watching this show on Facebook Live or later on on our uh, YouTube channel, don't forget to uh, click the link below this video so you can take my 30-second quiz so we can figure out what's holding you back from success. So please help me introduce my special guest today, Dr. Eric Maisel. How are you, Dr. Eric? <laughs> Great. How are you, Natalie? I am fantastic and I'm so looking forward to uh, to talking about this subject today. Like I said, it's a very common question that comes up within our community. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we talk a little bit about your, your story and your background and how you got into doing this kind of work. It's a long story. I'll start all the way back in the beginning. I thought I was a math and science boy, but then math and science stopped interesting me. I, I saw that I was interested in human beings and not in astronomical distances. So after I got out of the army, I got a degree in philosophy, which is one of those things you do when you don't know what you're doing. It's important because existential philosophy has always interested me. Human beings taking, taking personal responsibility for their life has been a theme for me. Then I worked as a working novelist and a working uh, nonfiction writer for a long time. Then I retooled as a California licensed family therapist and worked with creative and performing artists families and couples. And then at some point I stopped believing in the pseudo-medical model of therapy, of diagnosing and treating mental disorders. Thought I was just working with problems in living, not mental disorders. So I got out of therapy and I've been doing creativity coaching for probably going on 30 years now, but I never lost my interest in family life and how families work. And because I've been working with individuals and because I'm in the mental health reform movement, I realize the extent to which we've let go of the idea that circumstances and context matter. It's as if everybody's come down with some individual mental disorder, clinical depression or generalized anxiety disorder, or if you're a kid, ADHD or something. And that way of looking at human beings has prevented us, stymied us from looking at the context in which we find ourselves in, and the extent to which our families may be the problem, rather than just some individual so-called mental disorder. Right. So um, you said something very interesting that, that made my ears prick up then. You said something about the, the mental health reform movement. Mm -hmm. What is that? There are two current um, paradigms that the universe accepts right at this moment. There's the pseudo-medical model of diagnosing and treating mental disorders that makes it seem as if mental disorders are something like medical illnesses that ought to be treated by things that they call drugs, but I would call chemicals with powerful effects. So there's that paradigm, which is really the predominant one, um, supported by pharmaceutical companies and, and most academics and the major professional organizations. The second paradigm, is the paradigm of expert talk, the idea that we can talk ourselves out of problems it's called psychotherapy, which is an odd idea that on the one hand, it, it's some kind of biological problem, 
on the other hand, it's something you can talk yourself out of. Those are the two predominant paradigms. And there are a lot of folks in what's called the critical psychology or critical psychiatry or anti-psychiatry movement that don't believe that either those are the right ways to look at human suffering or the only ways to look at human suffering. Right. And so what is your, uh, what is your method? The shorthand for it I call humane helping. Right. right. The idea, it's the idea that we don't know as opposed to that we do know. And that adding a label, let's say you come in and you say you're depressed and I return the favor and I say you're depressed. I, I've done nothing there except engage in a certain transaction that allows me to write a prescription. Right. The average time that a psychiatrist sees with a new patient nowadays is 15 minutes. What can go on except you saying you're depressed? I agree and I write you a prescription. So there's mm -hmm. no investigating. And there's no honoring of not knowing what's going on. Either of us, both of us are not honoring that we don't know what's going on. You actually want the label probably because then you think you know what you have, but you came down with something called depression or whatever, schizophrenia or whatever. You came down with something. So in a way you're happy to get a label and I'm happy to be done with you in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So my way takes a little more time. We might have to talk about things I might have to be a little pushy to find out what's actually going on because we're all tricky defensive creatures and you're gonna not want to stop your smoking or not want to tell me your secrets or not want, whatever it is you're not going to want to do, you're not going to want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to be a little subtle and, and also supportive, compassionate and all of those words, but also very directive if we're gonna get at whatever it is that's going on. Right. right. I, 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 I love, love the explanation. explanation. And uh, because I do believe that, uh, well, no, well, let's talk about what you believe. So is there, um, do you find like there's a common thread or there are common, uh, you know, issues that come up for families that, that cause difficulty? Life. <laughs> life, is, life is the common thread. It isn't reducible to anything in particular. It really isn't. You know, for one person, or we'll just do it simply, for one person, it's the job they hate. For another, well, let's just look at it simply. If 50% of marriages end in divorce, and if 75% of second and third marriages end in divorce, and if many more marriages ought to end in divorce, the people are staying together for all kinds of reasons, we may be looking in three out of four married couples being unhappy. And, you know, they're probably unhappy in their different ways. Maybe one couple has no sex life. Maybe one couple, one person doesn't respect the other person. We could name all the different ways, but that would just be a long laundry list by way of saying, these are the things that human beings encounter. It's not easy to be with another person, not easy to be in a family, not easy to be with another person. Yeah. Well, those things you just listed sounded like they're more sy symptoms of something that's deeper than that. Well, yes and no. They may be symptoms or they may just be the resentments you have. I mean, if, if you have an accumulation of resentments against your mate, that may be it. There may be nothing deeper going on there. It's just that this is a person you don't actually like, or this right. is a person you don't actually want to be with. You know, one could poke around for, you know, some childhood, something that's causing you to be in this position now, but often there's no childhood anything. It's just, this is what's going on between the two of you. You're not, so to speak, compatible. You're not even friendly. Right. Because, you know, I, I know my marriage uh, ended about four years ago and we've been separated for about four years. And gratefully, we're still good friends and we're business partners and everything's great. But when I did some soul searching and some work on myself after that, 
I also realized that for me, it was resentment. You know, I had build, it was building up these resentments um, of things that had happened earlier that I didn't clear myself. So is there a way that people can move past that? Is there a way that you can help resolve that? Well, it depends on a given situation because in some cases, especially if the relationship isn't a safe one, you probably want to get out. Yeah. So if you wouldn't want to get over it, you'd probably want to get out. So I would say it, it's very, very particular. In the book, I talk about eight strengths, and among the strengths are, are things like clarity and awareness. So let's say that one of your resentments is that your husband always comes late to everything. Let's just say, and that builds up over time. It's mm. more than annoying. It's like it doesn't feel fair. It feels like whatever agreement you base this relationship on is not being honored. So, so first, you would want awareness that this is what goes on because, as I say, we're defensive and we somehow manage not to quite notice that he's always late or we, we keep always accepting whatever excuse he gives. So one strength or skill would be to grow better aware that this is what's actually going on. And then there's the skill of clarity, which is then what do you want to do? And it's going to be different for different people. For one person, it might be, this added to every other resentment means I must leave, or, or it might mean I'm going to speak very clearly to him. My clients try to speak very clearly in sentences of seven words or fewer. Right. As soon as we speak in long sentences, we're probably apologizing or changing the message or doing something. So this mate might want to say to her husband, this isn't okay. Mm. With a period and not more sentences that become criticism or whatever it may become, just this isn't okay, so that the message is heard. And then, of course, there would need to be consequences. If the person still keeps coming late, there needs to be consequences for that. But the first step is, is recognizing that he's always late and then doing something about it. Right. So, so uh, tell me what the eight pillars are. Well, the, the eight skills or strengths are smarts, just being smart about what's going on. Strength, having the strength to do what you know you ought to do once you figure out what that is. Calmness, which is a very important one because most people are silenced by anxiety. And, and it's not just that anxiety comes up in performance situations or here and there. I think anxiety threads through our lives in a way in which prevents us from really being who we intend to be. So growing calmer is important. Then the skill of clarity that I mentioned before, having a good sense of what you want to do. And then awareness, the idea of understanding what's going on around you. Courage, because a lot of things scare us. Not necessarily scare us like a tiger coming at us, but just scare us like we don't want the consequences of saying something, you know? So yeah. that requires a certain amount of courage to just speak or just do what we think we need to do. Then the skill of presence, to actually be there with your, let's say, your alcoholic son, you know, stay put and not leave the room and not notice that he's drunk again, that kind of thing. Presence to stay there. And then resilience, because these matters keep coming back. Mm. Can't You may think you can handle them. It's like being in recovery, an addict being in recovery. You haven't handled it for all time. You're just in recovery. And there are probably slips coming and, and lapses coming. And, and you may have to start the process all over again. So as human beings, we need, especially inside our family, with the repeated Thanksgivings and Christmases, we need yeah. resilience. 
absolutely. And uh, and do you give advice uh, or some guidelines in the book on on how to open up a, a channel of communication like this? Well, I, I do give lots of advice, lots of um, ideas. Just one simple one is, parenthetically, I've been doing a lot of interviews, and, and for um, a lot of the hosts, sibling issues have been very hot, that in their families that they've been on the out with one brother or sister kind of forever, and they know of lots of people who contact them in, in their role as host who have been on the outs with a brother or sister, lots of uh, sibling, more than resentments, but estrangements and difficulties there. Mm. So one of the things I recommend in the book is if, if you're wanting to try some rapprochement with a sibling, meet in a new place. Really set it up, walk by the beach as opposed to meeting in, in the family kitchen yet again, where, where you both know what you're going to say and how, what the outcome is and nothing's going to change. Yeah. <laughs> so try something different. It's that's some, some, of, some of the, actually a lot of the tactics are that simple because I don't think human beings can do very complicated things. Yeah. You know, we're, we're about at the level where we can do something like let's meet someplace else and talk about this. Yeah, awesome. I mean, the, the book sounds like it's such a wealth of information. So is there a story that you can share with us of someone that you've worked with that's really been able to, you know, uh, mend a relationship? I mean, you know, family is just, you know, you, you're born with the family, you know, that you've been able to work with that's really had a big breakthrough. Um, let me say it two different ways or tell you two different things. One just came up with a host a couple of days ago where she was reading the book and her husband and her brother had been completely estranged. And she had kind of given up on, on them ever talking to each other and given up on trying anything new, but she tried some of the things in the book, including having them meet in a different place. And, there, and, and some kind of truce arose from that. So this was just a very recent example of something being possible where it was thought that nothing good could happen of this relationship. Um, in my practice, I'll give you one example. Um, I was working with a lawyer who thought that his issue was workaholism, who thought that, that he was spending too many hours at work because his bosses always were eyeing him and he needed to put in all the hours. To make the long story short, it turned out he was afraid to go home because he didn't want to see how poorly his relationship with his wife was going. And actually it rose to the level of a kind of fear so he would stay later and later at work. And not just that, but after work, he would go and work out, which is another one of those things we do to avoid mm -hmm. life. Yes. <laughs> and so he'd come home tremendously late and completely fatigued and, and managed to get to bed with, etc. And he had little kids whom he wasn't seeing. So he was missing his chance to be with it because of his fear of seeing what was going on. He was not just avoiding the situation with his wife, but he was missing his life with his kids. So we have to work on that strength, the strength of courage, the courage to go home, mm. the courage to stop the work day at five or six or whatever was appropriate and actually go home and face this. Yeah, fantastic. Now your book is called Overcoming a Difficult Family, right? Overcoming Your Difficult Family. That's yep. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and from what you guys, if you're watching the show, you can see that there is just a, 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 a plethora of amazing wisdom in there, but also practical things that you can apply to your situation. If you're having a challenge with family members or a spouse or, you know, and I'm assuming even like close friends or anyone in your life, these, these um, principles can be applied there as well. That's exactly right. 
Yeah. Well, Dr. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, if people want to connect with you or get their hands on the book, where can we send them to do that? Well, any bookstore, uh, physical or cyber, they can go to. to. To know about what I'm doing, they can come to my site, which is ericmazel.com, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L.com. They can also drop me an email at ericmazel at hotmail.com. Beautiful. Well, we'll make sure that we have a link here so it's easy for people just to click on that and connect with you. And thank you again, Dr. Eric. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thanks a lot. Awesome. So guys, um, I encourage you to click on the link, go through and get your hands on that book if you, ha do, if you do have a, a challenging uh, relationship in your life. Um, and don't forget that once the show is over, if you click that link below the video, uh, we'll be able to take you through the 30 second quiz so we can figure out what's holding you back from success. So until next time, remember to live large, choose courageously and love without limits. We'll see you soon.